Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't mean anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! Hey, what's up, everyone? Steve Zakawani here, and welcome to another edition of Winging It with Zakawani. I'm in beautiful downtown Seattle today. The sun's out. It's a good day, and we have a great show lined up for you. I've got my friend, former Seattle Sounders player, former player for many teams, actually, um, James Riley, the first right back in Sounders in this MLS era. He'll be joining me on the show. We'll be catching up with him, seeing what he's up to now that he's back in the area. We'll, of course, be recapping um, the week that was in the Sounders. We'll get to some of your questions. And as always, I'll end with my big three things that are kind of on my mind and I'm pondering right now. But before we get all to that, there's only one place we can really begin. And that is the loss to Dallas and also the loss to Chivas, which kind of made it a really tough week to be a Sounders fan. As a fan, there is a high standard demanded of this team. Every player, every coach, everyone involved with the Sounders knows that. And so when the team falls below expected standards, there's a reaction. And I'm all for fans being upset, being mad, holding players accountable. I think players welcome that, and that's great for the sport in this country. There is a fine line between that and overreacting. And that's what I kind of want to touch on here in this first segment. There's reasons you can be upset, and here are some of them. The results versus LAFC, Dallas, and of course the Chivas tie, you can be upset over that. Jordan Morris going down injured, and you're looking at the team, and you're thinking, man, we don't have a replacement. We have no one to replace Jordan. We can be mad over that whole situation because he's such a good player who adds so much to this team. It's unfortunate he's been injured. And that can upset you as a fan. You can be mad at the slow start. It's two losses. Because despite kind of having some of the injuries, this team is still good enough to beat LAFC and probably was very unlucky in that game. And going into the Dallas game, once we saw the lineup, I felt, yeah, there's something to be gotten from this game too. So you can be a little bit upset over the slow start. However, that's probably as far as I think it's fair to go. Because when you really look at the big picture and you put things into the proper context and perspective, it really isn't as bad as it would seem. Overreacting looks like, we've lost two games, blow this thing up, so-and-so needs to go, fire this guy, cut that guy. This is after two games for the team that's been to the last two finals. That's overreacting. The Sounders are missing Osvaldo Alonso, Nico Lodero, Victor Rodriguez, Jordan Morris, Will Bruin didn't play, Clint Dempsey played barely a half. That's potentially six starters, at least five. You take five starters from any MLS team, I don't care how good they are, they're going to struggle. Take Almiron, Martinez, Nagby, Parkers, whoever you want out of Atlanta, they'll struggle. Take Bradley, Jovinko, Vasquez, Altidore, out of TFC, the reigning champs, they'll struggle. Look at Portland's team last year. You took Adi out, Nagby out, Diego Chara out, I believe, Liam Ridgewell out, and they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. This league is so tightly aligned talent-wise because all the teams pretty much build their rosters in the same way. There's more money coming into it now, but when you're missing that many key players, Alonso, Ladero, and Dempsey doesn't play much, and Rodriguez, who's been good since he's been here, Will Bruin scores goals, Jordan Morris, we know what he brings. 
You take them out, you're going to struggle. So you put it into context. It's a tough start, of course. No one wants to be 0-2. And, and it seems like we're in the same spot as we were last year and the year before. It can seem that way. When you look at the big picture, do you really think Nico Lodero, Alonso, Wilburin, a healthy Jordan Morris wouldn't have made a difference in Dallas? They probably would have. Take Jordan out of the equation. Just add Wilburin, Alonso, Nico. It probably make a big difference. So it's just, as a team, I've never seen anything like this before where so many key guys get injured before a ball is even kicked. It's frustrating, of course. And I love that the fans are passionate. I love that there is a reaction. It'd be worse if nobody cared. It'd be worse if everybody clapped and said, oh, that's okay. No, you should be passionate. There should be engagement. There should be discussion. But then the next morning, once you've had a chance to reflect, there should be perspective. We understand why this is happening. Come and see me in a month when the Sounders have had time to rest, players get back healthy, not playing as many games on the calendar as they have done to start the season. If the team is still struggling at that point, now we've got a point. Now it's a chronic issue. Now it's how come every year we start slow. Right now, it's not that. Right now, being dealt some very, very tough cards. It's been an unfortunate start to the season. But this is, since 2009, still the most winningest team in MLS. This is a very, very good franchise, a very, very good team who's been to back-to-back finals. It's not time to blow this up. It's time for perspective. A couple of questions from you, as always, on the hashtag AskZach on Twitter. There's been a few. One of the questions I did see here was, what did Brian Schmetzer say to the team after the Chivas loss and before the Dallas game in terms of motivating them, the guys didn't look motivated. One, I don't know what Brian Schmetzer said to the guys. You know, I'm not in that locker room, but I can t- I can kind of tell you what I think he might have said, and I don't think it'd be much. You know, guys were disappointed when they lost to Chivas. The Champions League was something this club prioritised this season. They wanted to do really well this year, and it fell short. There's no two ways about it. The club fell short. But you have another game in a couple of days. That's the great thing about this sport. There's always a chance to redeem yourself. And I think everybody was up for it. Everybody was motivated. And it just didn't go their way in Dallas. That's it. So it's not really a question of motivation. Guys are motivated. Guys are trying hard. Guys are going after it. But sometimes you're just in that spot where the bounce isn't going your way. Things are going against you. And that happens sometimes. And that's more or less what the case is at this point for the Sounders. Much more to come on Winging It with Zakawani. When we come back, I'll have my friend, former Sounders, James Riley, joining me right here on the podcast. Hi, I'm James. I love my mom and I love playing soccer. My nickname is Giggles. (laughs) My sign is Scorpio. I play defense, but I'm not defensive. Some people think I look like John Legend. But I don't see it. And welcome back to Winging It with Zakwani. And I'm joined now, right here in the flesh, by my friend, former teammate, a legend, and a John Legend lookalike. Um, a guy who's been around MLS from you know very long time and been at so many teams and has been involved in every community where he's lived and now he's back here in the Pacific Northwest. I am so happy to say that I'm joined by James Riley. What's I up, man? I appreciate that. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, good to man. Be here. 
And normally when I have guests, you know, I'll write out a couple of pointers, maybe a couple of interview questions just to see where it's going to go. I didn't do that today because I think we're just going to talk. This is going to be way more of just a conversation. Love it. For most players, you stay in the game after playing. It's coaching, uh, maybe some scouting, GM, something like that. Or like me, you go on TV, act like you know what you're talking about. But you went to the corporate side mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And you said that you think more players should get involved on that side of the mm -hmm. game. Why? Yeah, great question. For me, I think it should just fit the personality of the player. I've always had an infatuation and interest in the business side of the game and also coaching. And for me, it just ha so happened that I had a better opportunity to go kind of to the executive corporate side of the league. Yeah. And it was an opportunity, honestly, I couldn't pass up. And I feel that players, and as we as at, as I was at MLS, we were trying to build and still building a, player, a better player engagement platform. So that's helping identify certain players, maybe two or three years out, creating a longer runway so that they can transition right when they decide to retire, whether it's coaching and they have all their licensure or whether it's the executive side and they've taken the proper um, steps to set them, up, set them up for success, or whether it's the media side and they've done you know, their, the, the proper work as well to set them up for life after soccer. Really cool. Um, one of the saddest days in my soundest career um, was the day you were traded. <laughs> and we'll get into exactly why after, because for me it was very personal because you know, we had become close when you were here. Mm -hmm. But those early years for me were just so much fun. Yeah. Like, what are some of your memories just from oh, those years? For one. me, it was just so much fun. <laughs> One, I mean, great question. This is great. I think one is just the, the camaraderie that that team yeah. had. It was just such a special time, I think, not only in soccer in Seattle, but in the country, in yeah. MLS. Yeah. It just set a lot of precedence and, and created a new movement within uh, fan culture, what we were able to create as an expansion team and how we were able to play. But um, just the locker room banter was phenomenal. I think the first win, if you go back and say one of my favorite memories, was just the first win. I just think everyone from Seattle and across the globe, necessarily, we're watching that game and looking yeah. at that game. And it's just such a special moment of what soccer could be in the States. And having been a childhood boy at the Colorado Rapids inaugural game in 96 and dreaming of playing on the field and then to have that happen where I'm on the field and now uh, playing in front of a sold-out crowd um, was something very special. So that one stands out for sure. I remember... We used to have conversations um, within the locker room or, like, just different things as players. Um, and you were, for me, our most consistent player, along with Ozzy. As in, every game, you'd be, like, a 7 out of 10. Some games might be an 8. Some games might be a 6.5, but never a 2. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, mm -hmm. it was always kind of level-headed. During your career, were these your best years as a player or... Mm -hmm. I'm thinking New England, maybe. Mm -hmm. Where would you rank your time in Seattle as a player? Yes, great question. I think I have fond memories of both. So I was in New England three years, and we went to MLS Cup final three years in a row. Yeah. And honestly, I think we should have won three in a row, yeah. just unfortunate. And then here with Seattle, obviously, you make the playoffs three years in a row, Open Cup champions yeah. three years in a row, things of that sort. So I say my best years were definitely in Seattle because I was just more mature. I became more of a... Um, a staple in the lineup, I guess, and just one that knew that I needed to play consistently and wanted to do so and train with that urgency because you knew you would be representing Seattle in front of a sold-out stadium. So you're heightened. You're just heightened aware of, of everything that you did. And it was just so fun to do so. Yeah. So yeah. it helped out. Well, one of my, I remember we used to go against each other a lot in training, yeah. <laughs> especially like my rookie <laughs> year when I first came. And 
when Ziggy would mix the teams up um, <laughs> and it would go. It got to the point where we, then we wouldn't because we were both on the first team. Yeah. And during the year, you're really working in that group. But before every big game, I would text Ziggy uh-huh. and say, on this first day scrimmage, if I had a game on Saturday, right. we scrimmage a couple of days before, put me on the second team because right. I want to go right. against James. Because I wanted to push myself uh-huh. so that at the weekend, I was ready, I was sharp. What do you remember from some of those battles we had? We were good friends. Yeah, of the of We would go at it 100%, 100%. And I think that's the testament of a good team and good friendships and good players, people that w- when they cross the lines, they yeah. know it's about business and about work. And um, and everyone was up for the challenge. I think everyone on our team was, but especially you and I, because it's, it's essentially one-on-one duel. One-on-one. That's what it was. And, and, and you're Lundberg, trying to Lundberg never came back. So it was one-on-one. So you're essentially just trying to win that battle and be consistent with it. And I was fortunate. Like I had, obviously, Casey Keller behind me. I had yeah. uh, JFK, Hurtado behind yeah. me. I had Jeff Park, who I felt was yeah. a fantastic. With Tyrone. Fanta- Tyrone. Yeah. Um, Pat Ayani, yeah. you know, yeah. Ozzy Alonso bossing the midfield. Brad Evans. So we had help. And for me, my, my job was just to try to shepherd you and limit what you <laughs> wanted to do and, and just wait for my help to arrive. But... <laughs> Um, I think that was a testament to you as well, that you you, you thought about where you wanted to go and, and yeah. you challenged yourself daily. And, you know, we were always, I always accepted the challenge. You always accepted the challenge. We always shook hands after the battle. And I drove you home the, for your rookie <laughs> year. Sometimes we wouldn't talk. Sometimes we would. And it's all depended on maybe who won, who got yeah, the better of the duel that, that day. One of the funniest, <laughs> one of the worst days in Sounders history became the funniest moment the next day. And I often said what he said publicly, we lost 4-0 at home to LA. Yeah. And just an embarrassing loss. You know, that was a rivalry. It was a Ziggy and Bruce rivalry. We as players had a rivalry. And we came in to Starfire. You yeah. know where I'm going with this? Uh-uh. No? Um, the next day on Sunday, and Ziggy was pissed. Uh-huh. And Ziggy was like, <laughs> if you guys, no, who in here went home and watched the game. <laughs> now, you should not be going home and partying after that. You should sit home and force yourself to watch the game. Uh-huh. That's a good pro. Anyone here who didn't watch the game isn't a good pro. <laughs> Did everyone watch the game? Look, I didn't watch the game, but I put my hand up. Everyone put their hand up. Oh. Only two people never had their hands up. One was Freddie Lundberg, and we know why, because he's probably trying to pick a fight. And one was you. Right. And then Ziggy didn't even address Freddie. He looked straight at you. <laughs> He goes, James, you're supposed to be a good pro. You went home. You didn't watch the game. Why wouldn't you watch that? And you go, coach, I don't have a TV. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And we all burst out laughing. And Ziggy couldn't hold it in. (laughs) (laughs) One of my finest memories of you. But I bring that up because you didn't have a TV. Yeah. You actually, well, you and you still are that way. I remember we go like on road trips and you go for a walk right, or you right. go and meditate or you'd work out on game days, yeah, for example. Yeah. Some of the, where did you learn kind of that professionalism of off the field, also being a pro, taking care of yourself and having interests outside of this right. game? Great question. I think first and foremost, I've always wanted to kind of be well balanced. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think I appropriated a lot of what I saw experienced players doing. Mm-hmm. So when I was in New England, it was like a Taylor Twelman, a Pat Noonan, a Matt Reese. Yeah. I mean, Shari Joseph. I mean, yeah. guy, I can go on and on and name team, Jay Heaps um, and just try to appropriate exactly what they were doing, knowing I wanted to kind of get on that level. Steve Ralston was on that team. Um, Joe Francino was a veteran player and just tried to make it my own. So I'd take little tools from everything that they did and to make it my own. Steve Ralston probably said one of the things that I carried with me throughout the entire my entire career is said, as soon as one day trainings end, as soon as training ends today, you already start preparation for tomorrow's training yeah. session. That was how you took care of yourself, your cool down, your ice bath, your recovery shake, 
you know, your, your recovery pants, your massage, like the whole process, you were trying to, you know, have that same output the next day and then get ready for the weekend. And so, um, for me, I just became very interested in performing at my best every time. And I think that was because being in Seattle, it was just a heightened urgency and a heightened awareness of throughout the city and you wanted to perform well at home. So I would look for different competitive advantages, whatever I thought could be a competitive advantage or just center me, I would look for. So whether that was meditation and yoga, I mean, I did yoga for home games. I would do yoga on Friday night and then yoga Saturday morning and then prepare for the game um, on away trips. It would just be a, a basic light workout just because I couldn't sit in my room all day. No. And just to get the blood flowing and like just to visualize and meditate the game and, and the win and how I'd perform and how my team would perform. Um, and so, yeah, so that just became a part of, of what I found success in doing was really concentrating on the game full in. And that's also can take away a little bit because mm-hmm. after I've retired, it's interesting. I said, I feel somewhat like I slept walk through an entire 11 year career because mm-hmm. every single movement was said dedicated to performance. So you're giving up a lot just so you can perform mm. on the weekend. Hmm, so good. Um, I had a feeling this might go a little bit longer than usual because there's so much I want to ask you about. Um, but just a couple more here. Um, you are now back in Seattle mm-hmm. um, from New York. You've moved here. Um, what, so what's going on for you now? What are you working on now? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I mean, the cat's out the bag. You're going to mm-hmm. be with us on some of the broadcasts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some of the things you're going to be doing back in Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. There would be some more announcements made, exciting announcements made um, on what I'm doing um, on the personal side of things, so very excited to announce those in the near future. Um, as far as work, very excited to be part of the Sounders broadcast team, an opportunity to banter with you a bit mm-hmm. and come on to an organization that I've always looked up to. I've said they've done it fantastically well from top to bottom, and that's what made them very special. Um, and so the fact that they're bringing in more and more former players and identifying them, I think is that that will become a trend, but I think it's a necessary trend to, to really help elevate the game in this country is bringing in people that have actually represented the crest and done so in an appropriate manner. Um, I'll also have a nutrition, a youth nutrition project that I'm kicking off that I think is very, very valuable. I think nutrition, right. uh, especially in youth soccer, can be better addressed. So I'm kicking off a project there, and there'll be more news on that coming. Um, also be with S2, so to kind of give me my yeah. reps that I need. I think was just there this past weekend, and I think Cheney Stadium and that whole setup was fantastic. I think to see the pipeline of, of players that they have coming through S2 mm-hmm. to the first team is interesting, and it was a great um, point of view to check out. And then also be trying to kind of set up my own coaching platform. Mm-hmm. So whether it's James Riley 7 Elite Soccer Training, I just feel I can create, I've already created my own methodology in how I would want to be trained. And a lot of those things that we speak yeah. about will be implemented from the visualization to the mindset lessons to the nutrition to the technical training just to the professional advice from a pro um, is kind of what I want to create. Really cool. Um, I remember when you were here the first time, you got me plugged into the community side of things mm-hmm. here, so and I'm sure you're going to keep doing great things here. Yeah. Um, the current team, 0-2, out of the Champions League, a lot of injuries. Tell me why we shouldn't panic. Great question. I just talked to Peter Fewing the whole drive up here, so about a half-hour conversation with him, and I got his thoughts, and I just said, listen, you, you can't not have five, six of your core players yeah. missing and expect to get results in this league consistently because this yeah. league is too good. I mean, you go to a Dallas who had their full lineup, yeah. their full lineup choice at home in the heat after, you know, a, a, a game in, in, in um, Mexico or whatnot, and it's just very difficult. And 
I say that it shouldn't be a panic button because the personnel from the coaching staff to certain players on the team have never backed down from a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think they've just been challenged earlier than normal. And this is something that they just have to, to, to accept and know that, you know, the urgency to train and to get a result, that first result is so critical now. Yeah. And I just think everyone's kind of going to be on that hyper hyper focus um and it's too early to panic because just now you just refine it now there's more urgency to compete and that should be driving training every single day and then literally on game day it should just be unleashed and Mm -hmm. you know have an opportunity to express yourself so no panic button yet because i know we have guys that have been been dogfight before and come out successful so i have the confidence that they'll do the same a former teammate of yours in boston was sent off on sunday clint dempsey red card or no i don't think so i think it's a bit soft um, and, and, and I just think that, yeah, I would just love to have 11 guys on the field consistently. And I know, you know, having been at the league office, I know that group works tirelessly to make sure the right calls are being made. And I've, you know, witnessed their meetings and know how hard they work. And I think it's just going to be something that's continually refined. If that's judged to be a red, then that has to be consistent throughout mm-hmm. the season. Um, but I thought it was a bit harsh for sure. Yeah. The last... James Riley story before we let you go. My favorite James Riley story. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first came to Seattle, um, you know, came from Akron, Ohio, had no idea what Seattle would be like. I um, arrived here, didn't have a car. My first few weeks, I took the bus from downtown <laughs> to training. Then you start to get recognized more. So I found out you lived not far from uh-huh. me. So you said, just carpool with me. So I had an apartment over in South Lake Union uh-huh. and you'd pick me up every morning. Yeah. Same time <laughs> every morning without fail. I wouldn't even text each other, uh-huh. hey, are you here? We just know... Look at the clock. James is here. Go outside your hair. <laughs> we played San Jose, my rookie year, and you know where I'm going. Yeah. And we had a great win. Uh-huh. Um, we played fantastic. Yeah. The place was buzzing. And that was your four, one of your former teams. Right. So you had some friends in town. Probably, you know, went out, had a good time with your friends. Right. The next morning, um, the time came and I didn't see you. Right. So James might be a couple minutes late. <laughs> five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by. I probably called you 10 times, right. text you five times. I have not heard from you. All right. 30 minutes go by. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm going to be late. <laughs> so I call myself a taxi. I'm like, <laughs> there's no point in both of us being late. That's so great. I get to training. There's no James. Grant Clark, team administrator, come up to me, where's James? Yeah. Like, I have no idea. Because everyone knew we were always together. Coaching staff asked me. I said, I have no idea. He said, we've tried him 100 times, no sign of James. We go out, do our recovery training session, our regen training. We're wrapping up maybe a couple hours later, and I see you strolling into Starfire. <laughs> And I burst out laughing. <laughs> now, we've all been to work late. Right. We all have. Right. Um, one, I've never been to training after it's finished. <laughs> I, like, I don't even know what I would feel like. What's going through your mind when you're woken oh, up and I you're know. seeing Ziggy coming towards I you know it. as a player? I know. And you've seen us stretching about yeah. to walk in. No, I mean, and what happened? After 11 years, I think I've been late <laughs> three times to training. That was one. It was just an interesting cell phone incident <laughs> where the alarm was set but it was a cell phone that would go off if it was on silent from the locker room. As we walked into the locker room, we have to silence our phones. Mm-hmm. And I never turned it back on. So the alarm clock was going off, but in silent. Vibrating. Not vibrating, no. just going off. Oh, just wow. the screen was like, just alarm was going. So that's that. And then, yes, yeah, strolling in as no, I'm driving. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you wake up, you yeah. know you're late. Oh, it's what? a worse feeling. I mean, you wake, you wake up, you look at your phone, and you see all of these missed calls <laughs> from 
everyone. I mean, you thought I was kidnapped from Adrian, from Grant, from Randy, oh, from Cornish. Man. I mean, at, from you and Jared yep. Smith at the time. Yep. Yep. And I'm just like, oh, this is the worst feeling ever. So, you know, you get dressed and you get in the car and you drive down. I'm thinking of every excuse possible. Like, that could really work. Like, what can I honestly say that can get me out of this one? And I was like, there's no, there's no, there's no absolute need to have an excuse right now. And so I didn't. I just said, Coach, yeah, I overslept. My apologies. Paid the fine. Got uh-huh. the regen. Good thing it was after a win. If yeah, that had been after yeah, a loss, it could yeah, be a different story. Yeah, yeah. And um, it wasn't a full training session. It was a regen session, which is still important. But, yeah, and that was... Uh, Ziggy and I had a conversation, and I don't think I was ever... I was early every single day after that. <laughs> Which affected um, me, because I was waking up early too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was nah, funny. Always a pleasure. Um, that's James Riley here with us. You'll be seeing him around on the broadcast. He's back in Seattle. Um, I knew it was going to be an interview. We kind of... Not even an interview, a conversation where we just talk. Um, so stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Winging It with Zachary. Yeah. You know who it is. And welcome back to Winging It with Zach Wani. Um, that was James Riley again. A massive thanks to him. Um, such a great addition to this club, to this community. Um, I think we're all glad he's back here in Washington in the Pacific Northwest, a guy who did so much for this team on and off the pitch during his time here as a player. A couple more of your questions. Let's get to them. Here's one. Ask Zach, after a string of losses for any sports team, who should be held the most accountable? The players, the coach, the GM? Um, it depends on the situation. I think accountability goes throughout the whole club anyway. And I think, you know, knowing the guys in that locker room like I do, Everyone holds themselves accountable and they hold each other accountable. It was that way on the teams I was on. You know, if we lost two or three games in a row, there was a players only meeting. We'd talk it through. We'd air out our grievances. We'd get everything out. And then we'd come out on the weekend and try to right the ship. So everyone looks in the mirror, holds each other accountable. But again, for me, it's too early for that. I'd be surprised if it was time for a players only meeting. I think people in there understand what the situation is, the panic button isn't being pressed, although everybody does want to turn it around. Another question here. Um, it's a food-related question. Pizza tacos or taco pizza? I don't think I've ever had either one of those. I didn't know they were real things, but I'm going to try them this week, and I will get back to you. And last question on the Ask Zach hashtag is music recommendations. Um actually posted something about this, asking you guys to recommend to me some of your music you're listening to. I listen to a lot of British rap and grime music. It's very, very fast. Um, I don't think most of you understand it, but give me some time to think about it, and next week I'll come back with a list of names and albums that I think you'd enjoy checking out. As always, you can interact with me right here on this podcast. I'll do my best to get to as many questions as I can every week. On Ask Zach, just hit me up on Twitter. If I see it, I'll try to answer it. My big three things. Which three things have I kind of been thinking of on my ride over here um, to the studio? And it was kind of easy, um, honestly, this morning to think about what to address first. Number one is the Clint Dempsey red card, and that goes hand in hand with VAR. During the game on Sunday, based on everyone in the stadium I spoke to, 
the views we had on the broadcast, it was a red card. Because the angle we saw it at initially, Clint Dempsey swung his arm back and hit the FC Dallas player um, in the groin. That's what it looked like. I didn't see it live on TV. I saw it live in person. I didn't have the best angle of it. But that's what we thought it was. And I think a couple of things were at work there. It was the way the player went down and also, in some people's minds, Clint Dempsey's reputation. It's a red card, we saw. However, the fact it was reviewed by VAR then allowed us the next day to also review it. And when you look at the actual angles from behind, directly behind the play, there's no chance that's a red card. I'm not sure he makes contact with the groin area. At most, he brushes it as he's trying to free himself from the player holding his wrist. Clint Dempsey's right wrist is being held. That's clear. He tries to shake free and swings his arm to get his wrist off. It's almost saying, hey, get off me. That's what he's saying. Doesn't even look back at the guy if you watch the play. I don't think Clint thought, oh, I hit him. When you hit a player on the pitch, you know you've done it and you're waiting to be called out. Clint wasn't doing that. Any contact was incidental or inadvertent, whichever word you want to use. There was not a deliberate use of force, which is what leads to a red card. The fact that they reviewed it, had access to those angles, I think it is fair to ask more of VAR. VAR is there for clear and obvious decisions. That was anything but clear and obvious. You can't look at that and say, this is a red card. That's not in line with putting your hand to a player's face or headbutting someone, things we've seen. So I think Clint Dempsey was harshly done by. I've heard he apologized to the team, and I commend him for that because regardless whether you meant it or not, the team was let down. So props to Clint for that. But maybe his reputation went before him. Maybe the player embellished. I don't know. But in and of itself, that wasn't a red card. And VAR, we can expect better after you review that play. Number two, sign a DP. We get this a lot on social media as a conversation, a point of conversation. Jordan Morris is down. We need to sign a number nine. We've got to sign a DP. What are they doing? I understand the sentiment. I really do. Because I would love to see a fast number nine player come here, link up with Clint and Nico and some of the guys and replace Jordan and kind of, you know, add some stuff to this team. In saying that, who should they sign? It's very easy to say, why have they not gone out and signed someone? Who is actually available? Especially in a World Cup year. Most players don't want to change clubs in March of a World Cup year. The top strikers don't. They want to stay where they are, keep their form going. If they're on the outside looking in, they want to fight their way in. They want to move to a different country, get used to new teammates, playing in a new league, not in a World Cup year. And that's, I'm assuming, the type of player the Sounders should go for. Guys who would be in a team that has World Cup contention. Who is available? Who should they have signed? Who is the can't-miss prospects that would have loved to come to Seattle that the team hasn't signed? I don't think that exists. So, yes, should the team sign a player? I think you could do with a number nine, a forward, a striker, with certain skill sets, speed, good finishing in the box, very, very, you know, easy to play with and link up with Clint and Nico and those guys, makes runs in behind, kind of compensates for what Jordan did. But at the same time, Jordan will be back next year. So you also have to keep that in mind. You don't overreact ever in this sport. would love to see a signing. My question is, when you think about it logically and rationally, 
who's actually been available that would have made sense at the right salary for this club. Lastly, the big picture. The big picture is a phrase I heard a lot in our locker room um, when I played for the Sounders because, you know, you can be going through a tough spell and you always have to step back and look at the big picture. The big picture is that MLS is a very forgiving league. I don't like it that over half the teams in the league make the playoffs. I think they should be top four in each conference, make it competitive, make the regular season mean more. But I don't make those decisions. And with the way it is, it actually ends up benefiting teams and players. The big picture is coming top six, I think it is, in your conference. The Sounders are definitely the top six in the West if they play well. In this league, if you look at the big picture, the Sounders have been the best team. Points-wise, I believe, since they joined the league in 2009. It's a team with a lot of success. Atlanta have stolen the Sounders' thunder. We've heard that. And my question is, because they're getting more people in the seats, I think that's great for the league. But you don't steal a team's thunder until you're an expansion team who comes in and actually wins trophies. Three Open Cups in the first year. Four in the first five years. A supporter shield. A couple of Western Conference championships. An MLS Cup. Going to the MLS Cup final. I mean, these are amazing accomplishments in a nine or ten year span for any team, let alone an expansion team, who we've seen how most of those go. So the big picture is the sky isn't falling. The sounders are okay. It's two games. We want better. We should demand better. But we understand maybe why results went the way they did. I have no doubts the sounders will pick up three points against Montreal. I'm confident in that because the guys will get a chance to rest, get some work down to the training pitch, get chemistry going, and you'll start to see in the next three, four, five, six games how the Nico's back and Alonso's back and the strength in depth begins to return and we're starting to look at this team now in a different light once a couple of results go our way. That's all we have time for this week. As always, send your reviews on any platform you listen to the podcast on. We love looking at them, reading them. Five-star this um, this is Winging It with Zakawani. We'll be back next week. Send those questions throughout the week. Hashtag Ask Zach. I'm Steve Zakawani. Thank you for listening.